Thank you for listening and welcome to the Life Radio Show, a proud member of the SJ Network and Realm of the Mist Entertainment. I'm your host, Don Smith. We welcome back President, Founder, and RN at the Nurses Guild, Kevin Phillips, for another round of healthcare discussion. Along with Nurse Susie, we talk Medicare and Veteran Care. If you enjoy the show, like and follow The Life 1069 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter, or tune in live on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM, or you can stream the show live at WWSU1069.org. Presence overwhelms me. A brutal presence. The Life Radio Show is now brought to you in part by the Nurses Guild of Florida, experts in home health care. Go to thenursesguild.com for more information. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. All right. Hey, welcome back to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are here with part two. Part two with Kevin Phillips, president, founder, and RN with the Nurses Guild of Florida. Welcome back, Kevin. It's great to have you. I'm glad to be here. And, of course, Nurse Susie back in with us as guest co-host. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Remember, this, this goes out on audio, too, so we couldn't see all that cuteness. The, oh, of whatever that was. <laughs> hi, everybody. Garcia's trying to say hi as well again. <laughs> he really wants to be on this show, this yep. dog. <laughs> yep. Little G needs to be our mascot. <laughs> he does. So we talked. We talked a lot about a things uh, about a lot of a lot about things. We talked about a lot of things <laughs> uh, a couple of days ago when Kevin was on the show, and he wanted to come back so we could talk a little bit more about uh, about Medicare and a little bit more about uh, veteran care. So that's definitely two things we want to get into. I also have questions for you, Kevin as to how your facility is doing a couple things. I'm just curious. I'd like to get your take on that as well. Very good. I'll answer them if so. I can. <laughs> but veterans to me, um, veterans are very important to me. I'm a Vietnam era vet. I remember my experience of coming home where we were called baby killers and spit on. Um, the country did not appreciate our service at that time. But I also came back I went into the military, a non-drinker, came out with an alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. Took me five years post-discharge to get a hold of that problem and Mm -hmm. finally stopped drinking. And I think that was a pretty common experience. The stress of reintegration, many of us self-medicate to handle that stress. And then before we know it, we've got a problem. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty common experience. I didn't. I never reached out to the VA because I was able-bodied. I was not wounded, and I wanted to leave those services to those that needed it the most. And I worked. It wasn't talked about much then. It wasn't talked about a whole lot then. No, no, it really wasn't. A lot, yeah. Post World War II, VA did pretty good. My father, my father was in the frozen chosen. Uh, he was one, he fought in the Korean war and he would tell me stories of people coming back. Yeah. I mean, as alcoholics and addicted to pain medicine, and these were injections then and powders they would take. And I mean, it's, it's terrible. And you know, that stuff wasn't discussed mental illness and all in vets or anyone was never discussed then. We didn't have the term PTSD in for my generation. No. My father's generation, oh, no. they called it shell shock. Yeah. Uh, yes. And they were not very kind about it at all. That, if you or remember that, remember <laughs> that, uh, that scene from the, um, the movie Patton, where he slapped a, uh, a guy with PTSD in the face and said, get back in the battlefield. Yeah. What was the movie? Patton. Patton. About General Patton. Oh. General Patton. Pretty yeah. much the attitude about yeah. anybody with psych- psychological problems post service. But with my generation, we didn't have as many wounded coming home. Wounded died more on the battlefield. 
now with our helicopters and medics out in the field, we are bringing people back home that in previous generations never made it. Yes. So the VA was not ready for this. It hadn't happened before. All the TBIs, the traumatic brain injuries, Mm. from, from all the explosions these guys go through. Loss of limbs, hearing loss, eyesight. If a football player can end up with an injured brain from playing football, imagine what a combat soldier has gone through, what his brain has gone through. We are going to see, as these guys get older and older, more and more problems. And I'm not sure we're ready for them. Well, I mean, you know, it takes somebody like you and then you know, a prayed more to, to, we need to get this out there. We need to have services in the long-term care facilities that will know how to treat the vets that we have coming home today, 30 years from now and such. I mean, it doesn't just go away. In 2014, they changed the rules that now a veteran trying to get health care from the VA can step out of the system and be treated by the same medical people that all the rest of us get treated by. If you look at the finances of it, it would actually be cheaper for the VA to buy each veteran a health insurance policy. It would be 33% cheaper, according to the statistics I read today. Wow. For, for us to give them health, health insurance rather than, than run a VA hospital. Right. The VA hospitals have turned out to be a disaster. They can't keep them staffed. And when they do staff them, how do I say this? I have a friend who was an uh, internist, and his practice, just he just could not get his practice off the ground. For five years, he could not get enough patients to make a living. And there's reasons for that. Patients not returning after their first encounter with him. He's now a VA doc. He failed out here, so he joined the VA. I don't think the VA is attracting the highest quality medical practitioners because their pay is not as high so and it should be the total opposite you get those that have failed i mean that goes in the same thing as you know the nurses the the teachers i mean you know we need our va hospitals to be up to date and everything even including continuation care for ptsd patients I mean, dementia is such an issue and um, in PT, P- PTSD and associative, um, you know, disease is also dissociative disease is also huge. And then all what's going to happen when they go to the VA is they're going to get all kinds of medications they don't need because they're not being treated. They're not being canceled, you know, counseled. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a super big deal for me, you know. Um, I agree. I think the, with a VA patient, the first thing I would do is start weaning them off those drugs. Yes. But they give these guys benzodiazepines, which yeah. is the meanest withdrawal of any drug out there. Xanax mm-hmm. has the worst withdrawal. It's 10 times worse than heroin, and it takes you know- 10 times as long. I mean, but, you know, it's just a simple age group, though, that's getting those these days. I feel like they're they're really paying attention, you know, to the age group. Uh, The elderly can't get those because then they become more combative and more, you know, um, you know, but you're right. I mean, the addiction is the Iraqi Iraqi and and Afghanistan veterans. They come back. They're having trouble adjusting. Doc says, here, here, this will calm you down. And they do not warn them that do not get addicted to this because the withdrawal is hell. But we have it so controlled now. I've seen it, and I've seen patients starting on it and either not wanting it. I mean, I, I mean, not as severe as the PTSD, but still, you know, we have things laid in place here in the state of Ohio where they're only allowed to be prescribed it for three months at these low doses. I mean, all of our class two drugs and up are, are just totally being monitored. We constantly have to do drug tests to make sure they're not taking anything else. 
But, I mean, I see where you're going with that, though, because, you know, when someone comes home from, you know, being, you know, in the military, irregardless if you were in war, you know, in combat or not, you know, all we know is, is that you're a veteran and we're going to take care of you. We're going to make you as comfortable as possible. And that's when the stuff is thrown at them. I agree that the, the education the patient education isn't there, and they need to no, understand. No. Well, but as, they're a not nation, as a nation, we are very poorly educated about the effects of these drugs. What do you but think is the most... Let me ask you a question. What's the most dangerous drug to overdose on? The most dangerous drug, drug to overdose on is alcohol. Tylenol. Really? Tylenol. Tylenol kills your liver. Oh, sure. A Tylenol overdose... I've had a patient who had chronic headaches. He had no medical insurance. I didn't get him until he was disabled. And he kept taking Tylenol. Instead, every four hours, he was taking it every hour. He destroyed his liver. A Tylenol overdose, even in a 20-year-old, will destroy the liver. And you can't live with that. I mean, I know that we tell any of our kidney patients, no ibuprofen, you know, Tylenol, if you are having a pain, um, but, you know, ibuprofen is, uh, is another big one. And then when they start mixing these drugs, uh, diclofenac is a huge one that will shut down your liver and kidneys. I imagine there, there's, I know that there is quite a few that are, that are mitigated by the liver rather than the kidneys. Uh-huh. But Tylenol, luckily, huh? Luckily, opiates, opiates are eliminated by the kidneys. I used to right. be a dialysis nurse. And if I, a dialysis patient had, had pain, you gave them one Percocet, and it would last until the next time he was dialyzed because it's eliminated by the kidneys. I lost Susie's picture. Yeah, she might have she dropped. I'm not sure where she went. Sorry. There she is. Oh, okay. <laughs> It was the fly and the gnat that's in my I got fresh vegetables I am sitting out and they're still hanging out. So I told my brother Susie, dust before your eyes can be a symptom of a neurological disorder. (laughs) I know I already know this. (laughs) I'm just I know what motors are. (laughs) Um But getting veterans the care they need is frustrating. Yeah, because we talked money. The Guild signed up with the VA to start providing care for veterans two years ago, and we're just now being approved. It took us two years. Sure. I'm not surprised. I've heard that before. And I imagine once I start taking care of VA patients, it's probably going to take me two years to get paid. Yeah. Um, but anyway. As long as you do, you know, your continuity care things and, you know, send everything in to, you know, a lot of people, it's a, you know, it's a learning curve once they start working through Medicare and just seeding, seeing these uh, VA patients and stuff is getting them your info. Stay on top of it. Make sure all your Medicare and Medicaid patients have all had their yearly physicals. If not, get them in. You know, all this stuff because they need this this info to back it up and get you paid. I've had that job before, so I, I once you know, a, once, once a VA patient becomes a nurses guild patient, he picks up or she picks up a nurse advocate who can fight for them. Good. We can put his complaints in medical language that his physician the VA physician will be unable to deny. Sorry, that buzz was my phone. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> okay. It's just as long as it's not a fly or a gnat. Yeah. We've had enough of those already. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but ha- having a nurse who can translate your symptoms into the required medical jargon. Oh, yeah. The physician will not be able to deny or just say, oh, okay. That's one of the features, I think, that should help VA patients want to come out of the system. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that they're actually able to now because I've I've heard a lot of horror stories just from friends of mine. I know that were in the service that that have had to deal with the VA hospital, and it's 
We're losing 20 vets a day to suicide. Yeah. Now, yeah. If, our, if our death toll in Afghanistan was 20 a day, you'd see a surge of troops going to Afghanistan to alleviate yeah. that problem. But 20 but a day through the VA doesn't even make the news. The sad part is, is that we need those multi-care centers. I mean, your center sounds like it would be a good one, you know, to help with them. But we need something that's going to tackle that patient, that patient with PTSD. I mean, I think about it all the time. My brother spent five years in Kabul, Afghanistan, you know, as a private security and medic for uh, U.S. Navy Admiral Harward. Um, he's seen some things, done some things. He first came back. He was just so horrible. But you know what's you know what made him stop taking medication and stuff is because you um, first. What's the first thing why people stop taking medication is because they feel okay. They don't need it anymore. And also, we need those multi-facets uh, in a facility that's going to give them, you know, the counseling and the talks with other people, the care, the medication, and anything else or any other outsourcing that they need. They don't want to go to a psychiatrist and a family doctor, and they don't want to go to three different people to, be, to get help when they need it now. Well, with, with a home health service. The service comes to your house. And that's what they need. <laughs> a psych that, nurse, that is, if I you have PTSD, you you'll, you'll start working with a psych nurse at first until we get a trust relationship, until the patient trusts us. But there are different modalities that have proven pretty effective with PTSD. Just getting them to relive some of the, the incidences in their head that, that most affected them. In a safe environment, seems to have a great deal of effect. Yeah, we do that just in normal talking with him. Um, Don, you actually experienced tonight. I brought up some things that you know, and you know what? It's a great way to show them. Look, you're here. You're warm. You're safe. You're loved. You know. So, I mean, I yeah, I agree with you on that. We need a home health care that will do that for vets. We have home health care for the vets, but they're just there to help you take a shower, put, you know, right. baby paper on your butt. Oh, that, for the disabled, the, yeah, for the activities of daily living, they'll, they'll send you right. a date. Um, sure, but what about the other stuff that they need help with so they can get right. on with life? An amputee needs extensive physical, but occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. Physical therapy will teach you how to walk again. Occupational therapy teaches how to live with those limitations that you now have. This should be daily, not twice a week. I mean, how come our open heart patient starts cardiac rehab within 12 to 18 hours after we just had their chest open? Because Why? it's most effective. Why do you make them start sitting up and walking within those hours? They still look yellow. You can tell that they're jaundice. You know, they've been on machines. You're going to prevent pneumonia by doing that. Yeah. And you're going to prevent any atrophy in the muscles by getting them to start again. Yeah. And that's the same thing with amputees. We need to get them moving because that's going to save their life. It's going to save their other limbs. It's going to make them stronger. And if they're grumpy and they're overweight and they just don't want to do it, but you know what? Just the human contact and activity, the fact of getting someone to come to their home and introduce them how they're going to drive this way, how they're going to grocery shop, move their kitchen down to where they're standard, you know, um, that's so important. And one of the key things also is we send the same therapist. So you have a relationship with that therapist, not a new one. Every time you go into a That's clinic, exhausting. A clinic. taking them serious in home health, you get the same one over and over again. You get the same nurse. When I have a, a patient at home and I've gotten to know them, I've had three or four visits. Just looking at their face, I can tell if something's changed. 
listening to them walk to the door to answer it. I can hear if their gait has changed. It, that's because I know the patient. Ha, ha, seeing a different clinician every time you go to a clinic is useless. You're, you're starting you know over every time. You know what? And I experienced that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 45. I've done this for 19 years. I've worked in several different modalities because I love to learn. I have that energy. Um, as Don can vouch for me, um, I've told him a million times, I'm burned out. You know, I want to be on this end. What we're discussing, I want to be on this end of medicine now. I'm ready to move on. And um, But one thing that just keeps me hanging on is that one-on-one -on -one contact. The truthfulness that comes from my patients when they want to lie to the doctor, they want you to... You need to become a home health nurse. You'll love it. <laughs> if I got a home health... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I probably would. I don't know. Maybe something for the vets because, you know, my heart goes out to them. My father's buried here at our national cemetery. You know, I mean, he, he's there and, you know, I we, we've lived a military life and I feel like I should... Do, you know, my options are open now, so. <laughs> and I was really surprised to see, to see a statistic that said only 5% of American families have someone in the military or was in the military. Really? Wow. Only 5 Well, that's because they're not drafting anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they were drafting, that would be at 80, 75, who knows? Now everybody knows the loopholes of getting out. But I mean, you in know, my, in I, my generation, we had the, the draft lottery and my, my, yeah. my, my lottery number was 21. And the year before they had gotten up to 152. So I joined the Air Force rather than have to be in the Army. I'm trying to avoid going to Vietnam at this point. <laughs> While I was in basic training, they ended the draft, and I had a four-year commitment. <laughs> like, what? They never got to 21. They never got to 21. They ended the draft while I was in basic training. Your parents were happy. Your mama was probably happy. No, my mom was very scared that I went into the military. Yeah. I had a, a scholarship to Cornell. Wow. I could have done. Yeah. But I... Because my draft number was so low, I went in the Air Force. And I actually am very glad I did. They made me a medic, and I found, Best medic found something that was my life's passion. Yeah, and medics can, can accept and appreciate science. I mean, um, the stuff are, you know, the stuff that our medics used, you know, in the early 1920s to now, I mean, again, I talked to you about science and health last time we spoke. And, um, you know, there is just miraculous things that these medics are learning. And uh, a battlefield medic today can save 10 times the amount of patients I could have saved because of the technology and education he's bringing to the battlefield. Well, not only that, it's the equipment and medicine that they're being educated to use that a lot of ER nurses don't even know about. True. How is that happening? Well, because war is the biggest impetus to advancing care of trauma. They have a concentration of so many cases. If you're going to be get, get good at gunshot wounds, you're not going to do it out in a community hospital. No, you have to be in a place where you see a lot of gunshot wounds, like Chicago. No, sorry, Chicago's a good, good, good place. Yeah. Good you know, I, I, worked, I worked in North Philly, and we oh. got we had a. This is when the Jamaicans were trying to take over the drug trade, and they were using Uzis. Oh wow! In the streets, so we we would get gunshot wounds where there, there were four or five holes in the body. Wow! There was a thing you could you could it's tell. Like Stuff. You could tell whether a person was shot by a cop or by a drug dealer. Cops brought, bought good ammunition. Drug dealers used old ammunition. So they were not, oh, yeah. the, the injuries were not as severe. That's a strange huh. observation. And I don't know why I'm telling you that. Oh, that's, <laughs> it's something I never thought about before. <laughs> if, if they were cop shot, they, they usually died. Shot, shot by a rival dealer. 
not so much. Yeah. There was, I had an experience where I was, in, I was part of a flying hospital. And in the 1973 Israeli war, they flew my unit to Inkerlet, Turkey, to set up a field Ooh. hospital. Turkey. And there, we, we, we had no war, so we started taking care of the locals. And we would get stab wounds over, lots of stab wounds, but always in the ass. And I could not, <laughs> could not figure out why, why they're stabbing in the ass. And it was because the law there is if you t- stab below the waist, it was assault. Above the waist, it was attempted murder. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you you got to find the loopholes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, they'll try. They'll try to do whatever they can to get away with something. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> we were perplexed for about two weeks till we figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who solved the mystery? Did one of them actually tell you that while you were sewing them up? <laughs> we got a cop stab, stabbed in the ass. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was the one who told us. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, you you got to know the laws if you're going to do that. Yeah. And, <laughs> Yeah, you're afraid but to die. You say a lot. Veterans, guys. Yeah. If a veteran gets to step out of the VA system and into home health to, to a company like mine, they're not yes. only picking up expert treatment, they're picking up advocates, people yeah. that yeah. Will fight for them, who will fight the system to get what they need. Yes. Because mo- most, most, be most vets will be demoralized after hitting their head against the VA for years and not getting what they need. They give up. They just give up. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of them may not even know that they have the option to go outside of the VA. I don't think they do. But they can, if this is the the regulation, if they try to get an appointment with the VA and the appointment is going to be longer than 30 days from now, they can step out of the system. That's the 2014 law. Well, we need that here, Mr. Phillips. Well, how the law is written, how it's being instituted, going to be two different things. Right. I need Mr. Phillips in Ohio, and let's get together. Let's do this. Let's build something. You know, it takes a village, and you are like, you're passionate about this, and that's all it takes. Is you give me a room for all nurses and I can get them passionate about it. But then I agree. I can get that for you. <laughs> I love speaking to nurses. I truly do. I love that you love that because a lot of doctors don't have the time or day. Except, except, except you know, it's our old school docs, they have the time because they're used to teaching. True. And, you know, I've spent years and went to school at a teaching hospital at Kettering Medical Center. It's the Seventh-day Adventist, you know, hospital. But it was the teaching hospital. And, um, you know, I learned everything I know till this day from an elder. Um, I started back when Kettering was, our charge nurses was still wearing the whites, the hats. Yeah. You know, you could only wear white uniforms. I yeah. remember the day Luckily, we started. Luckily, you wear one. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have I mean, guys, guys coming into nursing that did away with that nursing hat. Like Nurse Ratchet? <laughs> My wife had wore one. My wife wore whites and that little hat. All I had was white scrubs. White, 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 white. And, um, and I bet you're very good at getting blood out of whites, aren't you? I'm very good. I take laundry as a very serious thing, especially whites and ironing my lab jackets and stuff, but I don't wear them anymore. My colors are normally dark, (laughs) but um, what I do take pride in is listening and listening to um, our nurse managers, um, you know, um, listening to uh, my nurse supervisor, who Judy Cutler, she will always be a part of me. I've learned so much from her about professionalism in front of the docs and how to speak to the docs. Get what you want from the docs. Stand up for yourself with the docs. I, I, started, in my, I started in my early 20s, 
And um, as you can hear my voice now, I just really had a hard time getting them to take me serious. So I had to, um, you know, the proof was in the pudding. I had to show them how fascinated and educated I was with the heart and the telemetry monitors. I would notice every heart rhythm of some one thing. I didn't have to be looking at the monitor, but if I heard that one beat that was off, you know, I'd run a, you know, it, it takes a lot of work to prove yourself for those doctors to teach you. It takes know, years to get truly confident as well. I work teaching hospitals from 75 to 92. And every three years or so, I would burn out. I, would, I was working yeah. a lot of, lot of hours. Uh, I remember I was doing burned out of ER. Someone peed in my face. And I just had had it. Would, ah, would I've been peed out. on a million times. <laughs> But in your face, our babies do this. So when he was a baby. <laughs> so I change specialties. And I seem to change specialties every three years. So but I think about what all you learned. I, that's why I liked it, because every new specialty was a whole new stuff to learn. I went to teaching rounds every day. I learned well, so I, much. I, I got to the point where I, I, got to, I was better than the, the residents. After about 10 years, I knew the answers when they didn't. And it would bounce okay. the hell out of the dogs. You were the show-off. <laughs> no, only when they didn't, didn't answer, I would, I would yeah. raise my hand and answer. Yeah. And you know what? The thing is, is that I started at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, while I was going to school, I was a unit clerk. I wanted to be in it that minute. And so I was a unit clerk secretary, and so I was transcribing orders and recognizing these doctors and stuff. And I ended up officially working with them and taking their orders. So that helped me out a lot, as well as being afloat. I had to start out on the night shift because I had a newborn baby. And um, so I got to float at so many different places within the hospital. I've you know spent... Taught months, years in oncology, cardiothoracic, you know, we got med surge. I mean, enough appendicitis, you know, you got it coming out of your ears. I've ortho, um, and then they finally opened up a bariatric unit. I hated that unit. Bariatric? And they were just doing, when bariatric surgery first started coming out, they were just doing them like crazy. And all these people had all these underlying conditions. And a, life, a lifetime of malnutrition afterwards. A lifetime. You're correct. And regardless, it's going to, you know, yeah. But that's a whole other story. But I once, agree. Once, once I got competent in units, I became an agency nurse because I could make $10 more an hour. And well, so I, when I they walk into a hospital cold and have to be functioning in that unit within five minutes. But one year in Philadelphia, I tried to work in every hospital in Philadelphia. There were 50 of them, and I pulled it off. I worked at wow. every hospital in the Philadelphia region. When wow. I came to South Florida, I did the same thing. I worked in every hospital in Miami, in Dade County, every hospital in Broward County. Wow. <laughs> Just for kicks. <laughs> Just to see which ones were the best. Yeah, um, I mean, starting at the bottom of the totem pole and now being where I can choose and do whatever I want, it's nice. Like, I look forward to having the conversation with you today and the other day because um, I thrive off of talking to people. I'm so tired. I, you know, and I always thought I would be a good teacher, but I'm so tired of correcting these younger nurses that are doing it all for the wrong reasons. And yeah. that's hard. Nurses that go to nursing school to have a good job and a good income, I don't like those nurses. Nursing comes from the heart. Nurses are born. They're not educated. Codependence for me. I got to take care of people. You have to have empathy and compassion and really, truly be able to put yourself in that bed next to that patient with the same symptoms. I'm not even in the nursing field. I can usually recognize the ones that are in it for the right reasons. And I've, I've had my share of arguments from things I've witnessed from the ones that were doing it for the wrong reasons. The ones that do it for money don't tend to, don't tend to keep on learning. 
Right. Oh my gosh. No. And they don't. And they drive off, you know, in their nice cars. And oh no, I've worked with plenty of nurses that really don't, you know, I don't care. I really don't need to be here. And I'm like, I'm raising a kid on my own trying to make ends meet seven days a week. I think that um, yeah, you have to want it. But what's what I'm noticing now, though, the girls that the self doubters will work harder on themselves. That's what I'm experiencing right now. And the ones that don't really want to do it, they never follow through. So I think we're getting some better nurses in. What do you think is the highest paid nursing? Uh, I think it's going to be the highest paid nursing will have to be oncology. It's actually home health. I've have, I have nurses that make $50,000, $175,000 a year. Wow. What is that? <laughs> she needs to take a break. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we will go ahead and take a little break right here. Uh, when we come back, we'll have more with Kevin Phillips, and we'll have more with, with Nurse Susie. And uh, don't go anywhere. We're on the Life Radio Show. Stick around.
Hello, this is Michael Spedden, host of Foul Players Radio. Remember, just because we spell it F-O-W-L doesn't mean it's for the birds. As a matter of fact, every episode features interesting people with fun, fascinating stories about their journeys in the performing arts. Actors, authors, comedians, dancers, musicians, singers, you name it. We're a proud member of the SJ Network. Subscribe to us for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Castro, Castbox. You can find us at https foulplayersradio.buzzsprout.com. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at FOWL underscore radio. That's at foul underscore radio. Give us a listen and give us a five star review. Thanks a lot, folks. Hey, this is Don Smith. I want to take a minute to tell you about The Devil's Apple, a new book by my friend William Morris. It's the true and brutally honest story about Bill's own battle with addiction. It was written for those struggling to overcome addiction as well as those watching a loved one struggle. In Bill's own words, you work just as hard to be an addict as you do to be clean and sober. You can find The Devil's Apple on Amazon.com and for a limited time you can get it for free on the Kindle app. You served your country with honor and now are trying to pry health care from the Veterans Administration. Did you know that Congress recently made changes to allow vets to get care outside of the VA services? The Nurses Guild of Florida is owned and operated by a Vietnam-era vet who knows how difficult it is to return to civilian life. Why not get your home health services from a five-star Medicare home health agency, the experts at home care, the Nurses Guild? Rather than wait in lines for care, the Nurses Guild will provide care to you in the comfort of your own home. PTSD, IV therapy, wound care, or post-amputation therapy, no matter your diagnosis, we can help. A nurse will be assigned to you, visit you at home to assess your needs, and work directly with you to develop a personalized plan of care. Here at the Nurses Guild, we have nurses from every specialty, so no matter your diagnosis, we have the right caregiver for you. The nurses, therapists, and home health team of the Nurses Guild is ready to serve you. All of our essential health care workers are fully screened, supervised, and COVID tested. Call the Nurses Guild today to arrange your home health visit at 954-596-9806 for Broward County and 561-826-8937 for Palm Beach County. Remember, health care put off is health care too late. Stay safe during the pandemic. Wear a mask and insist those around you wear a mask. Wash your hands frequently and stay home as much as possible. There you go. Well, welcome back to the Life Radio Show. We'll just keep rolling right along. Uh, we're going we're going to switch up a little bit and talk about uh, talk about Medicare with with uh, Kevin Phillips. So take it away. There's something I want everybody to know is that there is a Republican health plan that is in existence now, and it is in force, and it's called PDGM, Patient-Driven Grouping Models. It only applies to home health now, but I suspect it will be expanded. Now, we've heard all about everybody protecting pre-existing conditions. Right. Pre-existing conditions are chronic conditions. Yeah. You can't get rid of them. That's That's why... they come with you from insurance policy to insurance policy because you do not recover from them. You, you, you live with them. This new payment plan penalizes any patient with a chronic condition. For example, if you have a, a wound that needs to be taken care of, I list your wound as your first diagnosis, but I've got to list four or five diagnoses if you have them. And if you have happen to have Parkinson's or diabetes or cancer, and I enter that under the wound, the reimbursement for that wound goes down. These chronic conditions complicate your ability to recover. Mm-hmm. So it really should be going up. Yes. So all these promises of protecting pre-existing conditions, not only are they not protecting them, they're penalizing us for them. Right. right. The nation needs to hear this. Yeah, because they're, yeah, you're right. There's absolutely no protection. And and delivered another thing. It's a bait and switch that's illegal in car salesmen, but for politicians that are selling health plans, apparently they can get away with it. This this angers me. This is is a big deal. I don't intend to be political in any way. Politics does not belong in medicine. No, it absolutely not. Party they're from. Keep that out of it for years, right? I mean, um, as a patient, and 
you know, I had to experience it first when my son was diagnosed as a type one. And um, with my health insurance alone, my child's insulin, his hemolog that he has to live on because he has no function of his pancreas. It's an autoimmune disease. 10 times what it used to cost. $800. Oh my. My friend Leslie finds out her chubby Labrador dog that she feeds breakfast, lunch, and dinner from her stove has to be on insulin because he's got diabetes too. And his is at Walmart for $10. So what is it with the animal insulin and the human insulin? Why is it, you know, that, that we can't have that? That me off. It's the same exact drug. It's the same exact drug, same exact insulin bottle because she has to draw it up. She's not fixing her. Pennies a dose to make. Yeah, here's here's why that's what it costs for pets because pets can't vote and pets don't have insurance. (laughs) When politics and insurance companies get involved, prices get out of control. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. Yep. But when you're killing people. Letting people die, I will be the first one to drive to Mexico. I don't care how I get it. I will drive to Canada. I will do what I can. And my son's 19. He's on his way out the door. But this is his life. This all came from when Congress passed Medicare Part D to pay for drugs. And pharma got them to put a clause in there that they were not allowed to negotiate for lower prices. Yeah. The federal government can't negotiate for lower prices. How can we? Right. Ever since they passed that law, drugs have gone up five to tenfold. And you want to know something else that's scary? This is how much big pharma is involved here. This is how much politics plays a part in this. So during the coronavirus, the drug trade was shut down because shipments weren't happening, you know, shipping docks, products were sitting on ships and everything else. The government, the police departments, everything you can think of were not happy because they weren't getting that drug trade coming in. And then we've got the real drug trade that we need to have coming in. And they price it insanely. I needed a chemo pill to take for six months, Gleevec, for chronic myeloid leukemia. If I refused it, I would be very ill. You know, um, it was pretty everywhere in my bone marrow. You know, it went from 637 a month with insurance to almost 900. And that's a month that's exactly 30 days. So I've got my son. Last year, year, I paid $42,000 for the Medicare. $42,000. This was the year before I got Medicare. It's insane. Luckily, I could afford it. Many people cannot afford to live anymore. No. We We have diabetic skipping doses. Yes. Ending up with ketoacidosis and into a hospital. And it's ultimately costing us more dollars because these patients are spending days in the ICU and they don't have health insurance or they're on Medicaid. So irregardless, we're still paying for it again. We pay a much higher price that way. But the drug company doesn't pay that price. You and I do in our health insurance premiums. So, you know, I'm a nurse. I want to qualify you know, for the a secondary insurance, and I just can't because I make just enough. Yes. You know, get it just enough, and uh, like three dollars and seventy cents. You know, enough. My son, we were able to actually get him with uh, BCMH, um, but it wasn't behavioral. Uh, Children's Dayton Children's Hospital got him signed on with children's with handicaps and it's helping my 19 year old pay for his insulin for his insulin pump 
We really um, change this. I don't know when they're going to kick him off, but he's got to save that money, and I'm scared to death to spend a dime. That vial of insulin that cost the, the pharma a dollar to make that they're charging $250 for, who do you think's getting that money? It's going to, to, to the high salaries of the people running pharma, but also to their shareholders. Well, you know, the labs are getting nothing. I imagine. The people that are testing and making the drug, aren't, aren't, they're not getting anything. It's getting taken right under, you know, right from under them. Yeah, and a pharma, C, pharma CEO making $100 million a year. Who's worth that kind of money? Obviously, a, a life isn't. We, we, we have a broken system where these companies are selling drugs to us for five times the price that they sell it in the third world or in Europe. You go to the Bahamas, drugs are cheaper. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. A lot cheaper. A lot. And it's the same manufacturer. And, and the penalties that you Congress get, when you try to bring it home. Congress has given them the right to rape us for drug prices. It's my one number one issue with my congressmen. My patients can't afford their drugs. Mm -hmm. They can't afford to stay alive. That's really sad. And they also cracked down big pharma, also practically shut down the samples that were given to uh, doctor's uh, offices and stuff. Anymore, do you? Yeah, you're right. You samples. can't get the samples yeah. anymore. They shut that down. You're not allowed to buy lunch for the doctor that writes for that drug. You're, you're bribing them. You know what? Just drop off the samples. We write for them, but their insurance, you know, it's a daily phone call to talk to patients and have to hear them cry and be upset when they can't get their life-saving drugs, or even, you know, it's down to incontinent medication. And, you know, yeah, self-catheter, self you know, self-catheters, they can't get that. You know, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it, and, it, it, you know, but this point. has been talked about for, for a long time, and I don't know what the big bang has to be to make someone wake up and notice but um, I'm willing to take part any time. And my voice could always be used for this because I'll I have a medical right background. I have a son that lives on it. I live on it. My mother. I mean, no, we, we need this. <laughs> okay, I'll be okay. No, no, I, I really agree that this is one of the big, biggest problems we have in our healthcare, And it's the profit motive. This, this, this area of human endeavor should not be for profit. We will get the research and de development of new drugs just because the scientists, that have, the, the docs that went to school and became research scientists are doing it for the joy of science and for the joy of helping others. Right. They're not doing it for profit. The research docs are not doing that for profit. If, if you checked... You know, if, if you were to go around and walk around your facility, long-term, you know, nursing home, whatever it may be, and you walked around and said, are you willing to do your job for free for two weeks to save these people's lives? Everyone would say yes. Almost. We got our millennials. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They probably listen to this show. But... Um, but have you, have you heard of any nurses refusing to take care of COVID patients? You don't oh, yeah. know about that. But it's risking their very lives and their families' lives, and they're still doing it willingly. This is day in, day out. We need more of these type of people. Yeah. But we need them in Congress. Exactly. Congress is, Congress is the reason these drug companies are allowed to rape us. Yep. There's not enough voting in Congress for in bringing up these bills. And um, I just wish I could latch on to one person that's going to be passionate or ends up having something happen in their life where they feel this way and don't know how to voice it. I would love to be Here's able to way do for you get the money for, for your for your drugs. Run for Congress. Farmer will come and give you money. <laughs> give them all money. To shut up. 
No, to to no to keep to passing bills to their your campaign so that when you're in Congress, you don't vote against them. Yeah. You want money from pharma? Run for Congress. You'll yep, get you you'll go. get tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and and every now and then, if you have somebody in Congress that actually wants to fight for this kind of thing, they introduce a bill. Somebody is going to put 9,000 different things on there to earmark all kinds of money for stuff that has nothing to do with it, and then it'll fail. Yeah. And that's, that's, cool. that's, that's cool. called riding coattails in Congress. Right. They jump in those coattails, and they just go for it, and um, I'm not a fan. Well, I don't think you can find a congressman who has not taken a contribution from Big Pharma. Oh, seriously, doubt that. Yeah, absolutely. Nor a presidential candidate. Oh, absolutely. I think every, pre I think every president we've had at least, I'm, t I'm sorry, but drugs is, um, is been around since back in the medicinal days and, um, every, you know, there's always a piece of it and they all need it. You know, uh, I feel like, you know, the people in the Congress are also trying to save themselves and you know, get the best care they can get, get the best medicine they can, and you know, get take a piece from big pharma. Um, you know, so they're they're using the amenities for sure. I recently was on an antibiotic, and it cost over sixty dollars a pill. Wow, sixty dollars a pill for an antibiotic. Yeah. Now that was five hundred milligrams a pill. That was worth more than gold. Three times a day. That was twice a day for three days. Okay. Anyway, um, oh, three days. The, the pharma, 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 pharma has are making substances that by weight are worth ten times gold, what gold is worth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. To them, I mean, the, the the cost of it is probably what cost to make silver <laughs> rather yeah. than gold. Their their profit margins are just obscene. Yes obscene we should not allow them to sell it for more than 20 percent more than it costs to make well that's why generics always got the hard you know the stiff the stiff hand and the the hard generics time of getting great them. great effort but guess who bought all the generic drug market manufacturers abbott they farmer <laughs> bought them all uh, yep. i know abbott did a whole bunch of them and i mean it's just it was a nice try, but it failed. It not yeah, it was. Well, as, as, We're not going to get it down till we pass a law. Yeah, absolutely. But as, as much as I hate to say it, we're going to have to wrap up. I'm going to give uh, Mr. Phillips, if you would like a couple minutes just to close us out, uh, remind us again about the Nurses Guild. Uh, you, you have a few minutes to do just that. All right. Um, to everybody who has, hasn't heard of us, the Nurses Guild is a organization of nurses that was formed to bring more care to the bedside. When we started, about 15 cents on every health care benefit dollar was actually getting to the patient in the form of care. We, as a group of nurses, got that up to 60 cents on the dollar by eliminating profit takers that had nothing to do with the patient care. We're a model of how it should be done, and I'm trying to promote it so other groups of nurses hear this and realize they have the power to change it. We changed it here. We can give three, four times more care than a, a corporate-owned home health company. Well, we are a home health company. That's, we had to be licensed as one to do this. But this should be done throughout medicine. We need to eliminate profit takers that do not contribute anything to patient care. I agree. We do that, and we can lower the cost of health care across the board. We could cut it in half just removing profit takers. That's my you're message. Of, you're one of a kind, Kevin, and I, um, I appreciate I you. I hope we get to talk more because you're Absolutely. here to talk with. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, and I want to thank you for everything that you do and everything you've done in the nursing field and everything with the nurses guild. It's a great message. It's a great thing you're doing. And, uh, it's been well, I'm at retirement. I wish I had more years cause the job's really not done. Yeah. 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 You, you, you have to pass it on to somebody and make sure it stays running. So, well, thank, uh, thanks again for being on the show. 
Uh, thank you, Nurse Susie, for being on as well. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show. Like I keep telling you guys, if you're going to keep listening, I'm just going to keep making them. And you guys have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, if you want to listen live, we are on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. You can also stream the show live at WWSU1069.org, and we go Facebook Live at the Life Radio Show's Facebook page. If you have suggestions or comments, feel free to email thelife1069 at gmail.com. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. Overwhelms me. Garcia's.